Zolana, and you're listening to the Never Not Knitting Podcast. Hello, and welcome to episode 93 of the Never Not Knitting Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. And please excuse my voice. I'm getting over a cold, so that's why I sound a little funny today. To start off today's show, I'd like to announce the winner of last episode's drawing giveaway. Everybody who left a comment on my blog, under the show notes of episode 92, was entered to win the beautiful silver chain stitch marker necklace from Wool & Wire, along with two packages of stitch markers. I randomly chose between the comments left using the online random number generator, and I'm happy to announce that the winner is Kirsten Nielsen, or UK Nielsen on Ravelry. Congratulations, Kirsten. I'll be in touch with you shortly to get your shipping information so that I can mail out this prize to you right away. I hope that you enjoy it. To all of you who didn't win this time, please don't give up hope. I'll be announcing another drawing for you to enter later on in this episode. You never know. Your name may be called next time. I'm happy to say that here in California, it finally now feels like autumn. Finally. I feel like a month ago, it was 90 degrees where I live. The weather all of a sudden cooled down significantly, and we're even getting some rain, which we so desperately need. So that's really exciting. Even though I knit year-round, this weather really really makes me feel like curling up in my chair with my blanket and knitting away. And I will credit this knitting weather with my recent surge of productivity. As I mentioned last time, I'm currently working on my latest book project called Baby Botanicals, which will contain pint-sized versions of my existing botanically inspired sweaters for women. Since my last recording, I finished the first of my sweaters, a baby size of the Twigs and Willows cardigan that I'm calling Twiggy. And wow, I thought I liked the women's version of this sweater, but words cannot quite express how much I love seeing it in a tiny size. It's so cute. For this pattern, I used Quince and Company Turn yarn, which is a fingering weight wool and silk blend. I just seem to be using this yarn quite a bit lately. I just can't seem to get enough. I discovered it over last summer and liked working with it so much that I just reach for it again and again. I sell it in my retail shop, which of course makes it very tempting having it so accessible to me. But I think that what really keeps my interest is the color palette that this particular yarn base is available in. The colors are kind of muted and sophisticated, which I think is really pretty. And also this yarn knits up very nicely. The silk in the yarn gives it just a tiny amount of depth in the colorways, which is really quite beautiful. I'm now on to the next sweater of the collection, and this one is called Baby Branches, because it's the tiny version of my Bare Branches sweater coat from Botanical Knits 2. That's the sweater with the hood and the tree on the back. I've already worked up the back of this baby cardigan, and I remade a smaller version of the tree stitch motif to accommodate these new tiny sizes. For this particular sweater, I chose to work with Cascade 220 Sport, 
in a natural heathered colorway. Cascade 220 is such a good all-around yarn. I can't tell you how many times I've used it in a project. You've heard me say this before, but it's, it's worth saying again. It's good quality, it's affordable, and it's also so great because it's available in so many colors. As I knit this little coat, I keep envisioning how unbelievably cute this is going to look on my tiny little model, Ruby. I'm making everything in a 12 month size and Ruby I think is 11 months now, so I'm starting to feel the pressure. I've got to get these little sweaters finished in time before she grows out of them. And the bad news is every time I see Ruby, she seems so much bigger than the last time I saw her. It's kind of stressing me out. Good thing these sweaters are small and pretty quick to make. In between my frenzied sweater knitting, my cousin and her family came to town, and of course I had to knit something special for her three-year-old son. But this time I needed something really quick, something that would go fast on the needles. Fortunately, I had just the thing. This past spring when I visited the shop Wild Fibers in Washington, I purchased the cutest little kits from Moki Moki Land of little adorable knitted animals. Just on an impulse at the store, I bought a hedgehog and a penguin kit, and I'm happy that I finally found a perfect reason to make them up. As if I needed a reason. They're cute enough just to make for no reason at all. But I made up both for my cousin's little boy, and they were so incredibly quick to make. Maybe like an hour to complete both? That's pretty quick for a handmade gift, don't you think? I have to say that the reward was pretty great for just an hour's work. Because when finished, these are painfully adorable. It was really cute because when I gave it to my tiny cousin, he put one in each of the back pockets of his jeans and carried them around for the rest of the night. It was really sweet. I hope that he enjoys playing with them. So if you're in need of like a really, really quick last minute gift for a child, check out these patterns. I'll put a link in the show notes on Ravelry so you can see. I think that she has lots of different options for different animals and they're all extremely small. So I have some other non-project related announcements to share. You may know if you're a longtime listener that I've been blogging now for eight years. Eight years. I started my blog way back in 2007, and it hasn't really been updated in all of this time. I've still been using that Blogspot account that I originally started with. It's not that I haven't wanted to update it, but I've just been busy with so many other projects that the idea of getting a new blog or website always just got put on the back burner, and I never seemed to get around to it. Until now. I'm happy to say that as of last Friday, I have a fresh, new, beautiful website. I am really, really excited about this. The new website, of course, includes my blog, a podcast page where you can listen to every episode all on one page. So that's really easy to catch up on old episodes. 
and it has a page about my retail shop. And also it has a new online store. Now this online store contains my printed books, which were previously available, but it also has several of the special little knitting notions that I carry in my retail store. As I've mentioned before, I'm constantly looking for interesting handmade specialty items to carry, so I'm now going to be able to put them online as well for those of you who live far away and can't come to the actual store. So I'm really excited about how everything turned out. Finally, it's all up to date. It's all in one place. I couldn't be happier with it. So I hope that you'll check it out. It's the same address. It's nevernotknitting.com. That's where you can find my new updated website. And I hope that you enjoy it. Also, I wanted to let you know that I signed up to be a vendor at Stitches West again this upcoming February. If everything goes as planned, I'll be doing my own booth this year and bringing my entire little retail shop with me. Like always, I'll have my books and patterns from myself and others, but this time I will be featuring a large selection of Quince and Company yarn and all of those fun little notions I was talking about as well. As much as I am so sad to not share with Lisa Sanchez again this next year, because I absolutely love her products, I am excited to try this out on my own. So I hope that all of you who are attending next February will stop by and say hello. I'll definitely keep you in the loop as soon as I find out my booth number. Last but not least, I wanted to update you regarding the mystery knit-along I've been planning. I'm hoping to start that up in January. Not only is my technical editor still sorting things out, because I just love to torture her with complicated patterns, but also these months are often very busy, and I would love as many knitters as possible to be able to participate in this, so I think January will be a good time for everyone. That's kind of when everything starts to calm down and everyone gets back into a routine. So I'm really looking forward to that. So for this episode, I wanted to share a knitting book with you that I personally have really been enjoying. It's called Top Down Reimagining Set in Sleeve Design. It's by Elizabeth Doherty of Blue Bee Studio, and it's published by Quince and Company. I like this book for so many different reasons. Not only is it beautifully laid out with six gorgeous sweater patterns, but it really delves into the science behind set-in sleeves, which I love. So if you listening haven't yet made a garment and you just have no idea what I'm talking about, set-in sleeves are sleeves that are knit separately from the front and the back of the sweater, and they're sewn in at the end. The top of this type of sleeve is called a sleeve cap and it's curved at the top and it's sewn in along the edge of the shoulder on your sweater, producing a nice tailored look. If you imagine in your mind a traditional women's blazer or suit jacket, this is the type of sleeve and shoulder style that I'm referring to. If you were to take a seam ripper 
and take that sleeve out of the jacket, you would see that it has a curved top to it. It's the same exact construction. Satin sleeves are often used because they look nice, they wear nicely, and they give a little added structure to a sweater. Yet they seem to be the least favorite sleeve option to actually create. The reason for this probably is that you have to sew them in. That means you have to be somewhat proficient with your mattress stitch skills or else the sleeve just doesn't lay right and it can look really messy. Secondly, there never seems to be an equal amount of stitches to rows between the sleeve cap and the armhole opening. I find that personally, I'm always having to fudge things a little bit on either side to make it work. And I don't know if this happens to anybody else, but I start seaming my set-in sleeves in the middle of the sleeve cap, and I line it right up to that shoulder seam. And on one side will go in without a hitch, no problems. But on the other side, I seem to end up with some crazy amount of extra stitches to have to deal with. I don't even know how that happens. It's definitely a fiddly process, and I can't tell you how many sleeves I have sewn in and ripped back out again and re-sewn in. It's just how it goes. The good news, however, is that this book, Top Down, shares instructions for a new type of set-in sleeve that does not require any sewing. And when I heard about this, I was instantly so excited. This book talks quite a bit about how the sleeve cap depth will affect the fit of your sleeve and how to not only work a top-down set-in sleeve on your sweater, but how to contour your sleeve cap for a perfect fit. It's great information for a designer who's interested in learning more about sweater construction, but if you don't want to delve into the technical aspects of this concept, you may really enjoy the six beautiful sweater patterns included that use these techniques so you can try them out for yourself. But of course, everything is spelled out for you in the instructions. That might be a nice way to start out, honestly, is to start out with a sweater and kind of get the idea of it and then use the book to figure out how to adjust your sleeve to fit your sweater and your body type. I, for one, am very excited about experimenting with the techniques I've learned about in this book. Just from looking at the photos and seeing these beautiful sweaters with this type of sleeve, the result that this technique produces is very clean and very sharp. I would love to actually try on a sweater created in this way to see what it feels like on, because it looks absolutely amazing. So if the premise of this book sounds as interesting to you as it is to me, you can find the book online at quinceandco.com or at your local yarn shop. Elizabeth has also kindly contributed a signed copy of Top Down to this episode's drawing giveaway. If you'd like to enter to win, please leave a comment on my blog under the show notes of episode 93. You will have until December 15th to enter to win, and I will be announcing the winner in the following episode. This episode's knitting story was kindly contributed by author Elizabeth Doherty herself. This is her personal knitting story entitled 
Nettie Mays Mittens. It all started with an excited phone call from my mom. Her cousin Alice had been going through some boxes of old things and had unearthed a pair of mittens that had been knit by their grandmother, my great-grandmother, Nettie Mae Colby. Alice had sent her the mittens, but they were way too big for her. She wanted to know if I could take them and copy them. Needless to say, I was intrigued. This was the first time that I'd heard that my great-grandmother was a knitter. She died well before I was born, and the photos I'd seen of her in the family albums had been formal posed shots, with no knitting in sight. Frankly, I didn't know that much about her, other than that, as a girl, she's said to have declared that she'd change her name for no man. Meanwhile, she was being courted by two distant Colby cousins, one of whom she later married, so I guess she didn't change her name, after all. I knew that she'd raised five children, that she'd cooked large meals every day for her family, as well as for the hired men who worked on their farm. But knitting? I didn't know that anyone in my mother's family had knit. Apparently, Nettie Mae had been a prolific knitter, seldom seen without her steel pins, the tiny triple-aught or quadruple-aught double-pointed needles that she worked with. And it seems that most of what came off those needles was mittens. She knit them for family, for friends, for the farm workers, and for just about everyone else in their small New Hampshire town. My grandfather drove the town school bus, and his father James, who'd been lamed in a farm accident, would often ride with him just for an outing. It's said that James would act as a scout for Nettie Mae, bringing home reports of this or that child in need of mittens, complete with the size of the hand that needed to be covered. My mom went on at some length about her grandmother's mittens, how fine the knitting was, how warm they were, how well they fit. She said that she'd lost her last pair of them when she was in college, accidentally leaving them on a shelf in a public ladies' room. When she'd gone back for them minutes later, they were gone. Since then, every year when the weather turned cold, she regretted losing the mittens, both for their own sake and for that last tangible connection to her grandmother. What a story! I couldn't wait to see these amazing mittens. When they arrived, though, I'll admit I was a little bit disappointed. First, they were a bright tomato red with some odd periwinkle stripes around the cuff. And they were a bit the worse for wear. But apart from that, they seemed, well, completely ordinary. How could these be the mittens that my mom had been longing for all these years? Still, I'd agreed to reproduce them, so I got to work trying to figure out how they were constructed. As soon as I began examining them, it was clear that there was a bit more to these mittens than I'd originally thought. To start with, there was a neat rolled edge on the ribbed cuffs. It held the ribbing slightly open, making them easy to slip on, but didn't create so much bulk as to keep the mittens from sliding easily into a jacket sleeve. The thumbs were more intriguing still. They had a crisp column of pearl stitches on either side of the thumb gusset. This pearled gutter created a clean, deliberate line around the gusset that was both decorative and functional, giving it nearly the appearance of a sewn seam, and drawing the gusset stitches into the hand of the mitten slightly. That little gutter was a total revelation to me. 
demonstrating that you could use increases and decreases, knits, purls, and other stitches to build structure into a piece, all the while that you shaped the fabric. Knitting gives you a lot of time for thinking. And while I'm knitting, I'm usually thinking about more knitting. As I worked on reproducing Nettie Mae's mittens, I kept imagining more tweaks that could be made to her excellent pattern. What about beginning the gusset increases within the cuff ribbing to create a slightly deeper gusset? Or shaping the base of the thumb so that it would snug into the webbing between the thumb and hand? Or adding short rows to the back of the hand so that the mitten would have a more anatomical fit? As soon as my mom's mittens were finished and in the mail, I cast on for a new pair. This one used all of Nettie Mae's clever tricks, plus the ideas that they'd inspired in me, and I even added a little cable pattern I'd been playing with to the back of the hand. About that time, I saw that there was an open call for submissions to Twist Collective, the online knitting magazine. I'd never published a knitting pattern before, but on a whim, I submitted my mitten design and named it Litchfield after the small town that Nettie Mae worked so hard to keep warm. To my surprise and delight, the design was accepted, and the editor, Kate Gilbert, even asked me if I could design a hat to go with it. One design on the needles always seems to lead to the next, the one that I've been planning while I knit on the first. And so it goes on and on, taking me further along my journey as a knitter and designer. It's been a few years since I made that first mitten, but all of the designs that followed have somehow been informed by the things that I learned from Nettie Mae, right down to the little pearled gutter that I like to use to give the armholes of set-in sleeve sweaters a crisp, tailored look. I'd returned the original mittens to Alice once I'd finished my mom's pair, but this summer they came back to me. Looking at those simple mittens, I was impressed all over again with her ingenuity. But I was also a little dissatisfied. There's one way in which the mittens I'd made weren't really true to the original, and that was the yarn I chose. Nettie Mae's mittens were knit in a superfine three-ply wool that was somewhere between lace weight and fingering, and she worked them at a gauge of 11 stitches to the inch. When I'd looked for yarn at my local yarn shops back then, I didn't find anything similar. In the end, I used sock yarn and knit mine at a gauge of nine stitches to the inch. I knew my mom loved them, but they weren't the same as the ones her grandmother had made, and that always kind of bugged me. One day recently, I discovered a gorgeous skein of Swan's Island fingering in my stash. It's actually the perfect yarn to use for those mittens. So don't tell my mom but I've cast on for them again, and maybe I'll surprise her with a new pair one of these days. The yarn is just the right weight, and using triple-aught needles, I'm getting those 11 stitches to the inch. The fabric is gorgeous, and while knitting them at the proper gauge is going to take me a long time, it makes me happy just to pick them up and work on them for a few minutes a day. I'm holding a piece of family history in my hands, carrying it forward, and feeling thankful all over again for the gift of these mittens. Thank you so much, Elizabeth, for sharing your story with all of us. If you listening enjoyed Elizabeth's story, 
and it made you think of a knitting story of your very own, I invite you to please get in touch. I'd love to hear it, and I'd love to possibly share it on a future podcast episode. I'm always looking for new personal knitting stories to share. Your contributions are what set this podcast apart as something very special. As a reminder, the show notes for this episode and all episodes of Never Not Knitting can be found on my new website on the podcast page. You can also find me over on Ravelry as Never Not Knitting. And if you'd like to get in touch, please email me at nevernotknitting at gmail.com. Well, everybody, I think that's it for episode 93. Thank you again for listening, and I hope that you'll join me again at the end of December for a brand new episode. Until next time. She won't even do the dishes. The house plants, they're all dead. Yeah, her needles are a-clicking. From morning until she goes to bed. She won't take the time to brush her teeth. Let's not even talk about her hair. If it isn't about knitting, she just doesn't really care. She's never not knitting, and it's making her husband mad. Her husband mad. Pop ramen again. She just won't stop the stitching, and the neighbors say it really is quite sad. Nobody has clean laundry, no pants, no shirts, no underwear, but they have closets full of sweaters, and more socks than they could ever wear. There's yard in the fridge, in the cupboards, the bathtub and pantry. Even in the washer and dryer That's why She can't do any laundry I need some clothes She's never not knitting And it's making Her husband mad Her husband mad I'm filing for divorce She just won't stop her stitching And the neighbors Say it's really getting bad She's taking pictures of socks again Oh, poor girl. The house is burning up in flames. Call 911. Her husband says, Get up, let's go. But she can't set down her project. She says, Just let me finish up this row. She's never not knitting. And it's making her husband mad. Her husband mad. She just won't stop her stitching. And, well, she's losing all she had. 